0: So if you're a guest today, welcome to week two of our series that we started last week called Improbable Joy. And we chose that, that, that word because of just this book, Philippians, doesn't make any sense. You know, it's called the Epistle of Joy, and it's, it's, a, it's a prison epistle, actually, one of Paul's four letters that he wrote from prison. And so, you know, prison and joy don't usually have a wedding. They, don't, they don't go together. And that's why it's, there's an improbable nature to it. And it's the mystery of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, that it's not about, you know, our circumstances, but it's about being connected to Him and finding joy in Him. And if you if you missed last week or if you were here for the sake of review, um, the Apostle Paul had a bunch of missionary journeys, right? Three primary journeys. And on the second of those, he wanted to go from uh, Turkey into what's modern day Greece and the Lord stopped him and he had a vision of, of a man, the man in the Macedonian dream. who was like, come over here. And so they did. He was sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to say, I'm not gonna do what I thought I was gonna do and I'm gonna go over here and do this instead. And he landed in a town that was called Neapolis that's now called Kavala, uh, Turkey. And when he got there, he had about 10 miles to go till he got to Philippi. And this is the road that we looked at last week. It's called the Via Ignatia. And it's this road that the Romans built just for him. It's an east-west road that really facilitated the spread of the gospel across uh, Greece. And it's on those very stones that the Apostle Paul would have walked from, from landing on seashore to, to the city of Philippi. That he got to and there was no guy. There was no guy there. Like, where's the guy in the dream? But he did find some ladies in a prayer meeting down by the river. Without the van, sorry, that just came to me. Um, <laughs> and, and so Lydia, <laughs> I'm going to hear about that later. And Lydia comes to Christ and then the demon-possessed girl is you know, delivered and then he's sent to jail and the jailer comes to Christ. And the, so these three are the, it's the seed. It's the seed of the first church plant in Europe. And it's just one of those great reminders of how God, God doesn't need, what we think He needs to do amazing things, like, right? He turned the world upside down with twelve regular guys, right? Planted his first church in Europe with three unlikely characters. Just boom, there it is. And so there's a there's a lot of affection between Paul and this church. And so this letter we have is really like an extended thank you letter. But I want you to understand as we talk about suffering today in the text, it's a lot more than just the joy letter. There's a richness and a depth to it that shows us how the two can come together together at times. But I wanna ask you this question before we get going any further. Are you suffering right now in any way? I mean, and when I say suffering, I think it's unfair of us to rank things, you know, like, oh, well, you're really suffering because you're going through that or you're you're not suffering as much as I am because I'm I'm going through this and and it's easy to like to contextualize suffering and somehow find pride or, you know, or all kinds of weird things in it. Let's just blow that all out and 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 let me ask the question again. Are you suffering in any way? Is there a, is there a suffering nature to your to your life? It, it could be it could be a medical issue that you're dealing with. it could be um, loss, it could be a longing in your heart for a prodigal child. Um, it could be a thousand things. Are you struggling? Are you suffering today? And if you're not, have you ever suffered? You know And if you could say no to both of those, I could say pretty confidently that before you pass this life, you will probably suffer because that's the human drama we live in a world that's fallen that's groaning as roman says that's groaning for this restoration and redemption that will come at, at the end and so as we process through there is joy in christ but there's also the reality of moving through a broken world that longs for the second coming of christ we're thankful for the first and we're thankful and expectant for the second amen And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to chapter one and we'll pick up where we left off last week in chapter two, or uh, verse 12 rather, where it says this, I want you to know brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it'd be so easy just to blow past that and that's why I underlined what has happened to me because there's been a boatload of life that has happened to Paul since, you know, he left Philippi, this is about 10 years later from when he was imprisoned in Philippi briefly. And now while we're hear, hearing his letter written from Rome about 10 years later. And just since what's taken place from Jerusalem to Rome, just take a listen. This would have included a riot that he lived through. It would have included a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea. An appeal to Caesar. Caesar. Threats on his life, a shipwreck on the way to Rome, his house arrest that he's under right now. And this waiting, this waiting for a trial of like, like what's going to happen to me at the end of this, this story? And so the same guy who wrote in verse 6 last week, who said, he who began a good work in you will complete it, right? Well, so he, he believes that. He, he believes it, and he is saying to them, all these things that have happened to me have served a purpose. They're redemptive. There's, there's something healthy and whole and good in the story as it's unfolding that his, is his life, and that would be true for you and me too. So these, these pressures that he felt is the, the pressure of the potter's hand that Isaiah speaks about molding clay and yours. The heat, you know, that he's feeling in his life is that heat that um, Malachi speaks about with the refiner's fire. And you're like, yeah, man, I feel the heat. I feel the pressure. I feel all of that. What is the heat and what is the pressure of the hands? What does that imply? It implies that he's near, that he's close, that he's not forgotten you, that he's not just close to you in joy and distant from you in, in suffering. Could it be that there could be a wedding of the two, something far deeper and richer? And he says, because of these things, the gospels advanced, like moved forward. That word was used of an army that was, the way was being cleared for an army to move forward. And he says, it's for a reason. And it's the gospel. What's the gospel? Here's just a reminder of the the simplicity of the gospel. And it is not good news. Good news is an anemic, uh, emaciated definition of the gospel. Gospel is this, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that through faith in him, we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. And so he's telling them, and he's showing us a secret to his joy right out of the gate, is that he frames everything and he takes us Gaze back to, and he gets his attitude under the banner of the gospel. Yeah, he's in jail, but the gospel's moving forward, and because of that, he's he's got this joy that's supernatural. So we see. Providence is in play. His sovereignty is in play. It's all working as it should. So that, check out verse 14. So that it's become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That word for imprisonment translates about half the time as chains. And I want you to remember that because we're gonna unpack chains here in a second. And he's saying, listen, all this stuff that's happened to me, like, Leading up to the chains and chains now, it's got a reason, and one of the effects of it. The first is that these guards, all these guards, there's like nine thousand of them, in in Caesar's Caesar's legion. This like they get double pay. It's a favor position. I guess it'd be like secret service dudes. I don't know, but it's like elite guys that want this position. And God uses the chains, he uses the inconvenience, that's a uh, using that word lightly. He's using his suffering to get right into the most powerful entity on the earth. And you see, do you see the beauty of that and the goodness of that, like, wait, oh, okay. All right, I'm, I'm getting this now. Like this suffering is not in vain. The suffering can be good in how God chooses to use it. We forget that Martin Luther translated the Bible into German in prison, right? And that Paul wrote four of these letters, four of Paul's letters are what we call prison epistles because he wrote them from prison. And that John Bunyan wrote the Pilgrim's Progress from prison. There there are things, good things that happen in the dark places, Because the light of Christ is in the darkness. that We're never, ever alone. It feels like it. It doesn't feel great. It's not like something you want to throw a party for. But hear what Paul is saying out of the gate. He's saying, stop looking at the wrist in the chain, me. Stop looking at the wrist in the chain and look at the chain. Do you hear me? What he's saying is, don't feel sorry for me. Don't look at the wrist in this chain, And he's saying, I'm thankful for your concern, I'm thankful for your gift, I'm thankful for your visits, I'm thankful for your prayers, but look at the chain. Because the chain, the struggle, the nasty thing, the ugly thing, the dark thing is what's causing the gospel to explode in the most powerful place on earth. Amen, amen, thank you. That's that's the goodness of this because that's upside down. That's the upside down backwards kingdom that we live in. And we, we want to turn it and turn it. He's, you can imagine him saying, stop, just let this inverted kingdom work the way I've chosen it to work and see what I'll do. And we see here that he's got this captive audience. Maybe that's where the phrase came from, right? Right. Because with the changing of the guard, as they would come in for a new shift, you know, unshackle and reshackle, and Paul's like, hey, new guy, right? He's not going anywhere. And he's got hours and hours to spend with him and to say, hey, uh, tell me about your family. You got kids? You been doing this long? What do you really think about Caesar? You know, don't answer that. You'll die, right? But do you, you see the point? The, the, the imprisonment, the chains have linked him to the most elite guards in favored position in Caesar's army. And that Paul has to have a lot of time just like, we well, you know Bob, I'm sure his name wasn't Bob, but you know, Bob, I used to be a pretty different dude. You know, I'm in here because of Jesus. You've never heard of him. But I used to be pretty violent. I was a blasphemer and violent, reckless, hurt a lot of people. I was walking down the road one day and bam, I met him. And he changed my life. He's Messiah. Whereas you might think Bob is a Roman, you know, savior. He took my sins. He took your sins. He rose from the dead and he's coming back. What do you think about that, Bob? We've got six more hours to talk about it. What do you think, <laughs> right? And all that time of listening when guests, because under house arrest, you could have guests. And when guests would come and visit, just you know, chained to Paul, listening to their conversation, flying the wall, right? Listening to Paul pray. I'm sure Paul prayed. I'm sure he just shut out the fact that there was a stranger like, like right here breathing on him. But you know he prayed. And so the the effect that Paul's life and his friends had on these guards had to be amazing so that it's become known throughout all the imperial guard of what's happening. And so for two years, for two years, this is going on. And you have to wonder if Paul ever, when it got quiet, had to think about the words of Joseph at the end of Genesis in Genesis 50 when Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve a lot of people's lives. And so he's saying, listen, don't look at my wrist. Look at the chain. This chain has a purpose. This suffering, it's not fun, but it's serving a purpose Everybody is heard in the imperial guard, and secondly, look at what it says in verse 14 and most and most of the brothers, having become uh, confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Remember, there's 9,000 of them, and so it says, also in addition to them, they're like most of the brothers. Do you hear what's happening? God is using the suffering not to it, to expand the kingdom with an addition math, but uh, a multiplicative, exponential, explosive kind of math. Because it's not like Paul's just gone to Rome and, you know, chosen maybe the easier way and he's having a conversation here and a conversation here and a conversation here he's got a lot of guards who are coming to see him who guess what they go home to families they go home to wives maybe they go home to kids they go home to neighbors so every one of these guards, and I'm not saying that all 9,000 cared for him, but however many there were, everyone went out in an ex- exponential way, carried the message possibly of going, Dude, let me tell you about this guy I, uh, who like had to guard today. He was a nut job, they might say, or they might say, yeah, he made a lot of sense. I hope I get assigned to him again. I wanna talk more. See the exponential factor that's involved with that. It's like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. This is so great. This is so good. And then, as I read that first line a few times this week, it struck me in a convicting way. Because notice it says most of the brothers got fired up, it doesn't say all of them, it says most of them. And I thought, would I have been in the most? I want to be in the most. Would you have been in the most? Do you want to be in the most? I think we are in the most when we recognize that suffering is not a detached, random thing that happens at the whim of an angry God. But rather that as a sovereign and a providential God who is good in his heart, takes the brokenness of this world and weaves together a better story a good story that can make much of the grace of Christ and the goodness of Christ. There is, these chains have a multiplicative effect. Do you know what happened back at Wheaton College when Jim Elliott and his four uh, brothers were brutally murdered by the Auchin Indians? A bunch of students signed up at Wheaton to go to the mission field because suffering has a multiplicative effect in the kingdom of God because we're different. We're different. And yet we don't at times like to be different because we don't do suffering well in America or most developed nations, right? Because we can fix things. We can fix things. We have resource. We have connections. My kid gets sick at three in the morning. I can find a CVS that's open 24 hours a day and I can get some stuff. We don't do suffering well because I, it's the it's the curse of the blessing. We have so much that we lose that edge of going, you're enough. You're enough. And this hurts. And yeah, I don't want to stay here. But if I did, if I do, you're enough because you're you're with me. And we can begin to see how God would, would bring good out of such things. Let me give you an example that just dropped in my heart during the first service. And it goes like this. Maybe your suffering is a, is a medical condition. And maybe, maybe you're going to be in the hospital a lot. Maybe it's for dialysis, for kidney, maybe it's for chemo, for a variety of cancers. Maybe it's something where you're going to go to the hospital regularly and, and, and come home and then go back. Or maybe it's just going to be there and you're going to be there a long time. Like the imperial guards who are chained to Paul, you're going to have nurses that you're going to learn their name. You're going to have doctors. You're going to have, you're going to have a custodial staff that's going to come in to empty the trash, and you're going to learn their name. You're going to realize that there's a the same girl is bringing lunch, and you're slamming it down on the table and walking out, all right? Guess what? That girl's name's Susie, right? And the maintenance guy's is Bill, and the doctor is Nathan, and the nurse is Elizabeth. Right? You know, they have lives. They're real people, and they, too, go home to families and neighbors and such. And as you are there repetitively, I would think that in your struggle and in your suffering, at some point, they're not going to see perfection but they're gonna see something in you. They're gonna see someone in you and just possibly they would say, hey, I've been doing your chemo thing for like five months and you're just different. Why are you different? And then you could say, is that a path any of us would choose? I don't think so. But God, and God brings such goods through that? Absolutely. I know a lot of you have done that. I know a lot of you are doing that. That's such a good reminder for us to hear that our suffering can bring hope and encouragement. Not just to ourselves, but to other people as well. Listen to what happens. In verse 15, there's like a gear shift that turns away from this into like, how people are preaching in town. Some are doing it well and some are not doing it so well. Listen to verse 15. He says, Some some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice, comma, pause, we'll pick up there next week. But for those of you who are thinking, maybe 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 you're new to the church and this isn't going to grab you in, in the way it will some. Because if you remember when we went through the book of Galatians, Paul got pretty fired up about false preachers and heretics. You know the Judaizers. The Judaizers were people who said, "It's Jesus plus something." It's like, okay, great, Yeshua's saved a Messiah, awesome, but circumcision, circumcision, still a big deal. Got to do it. And 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 Paul called them dogs. Remember, like like sweet preacher Paul said, dogs. Because what he meant was, a false gospel is is damning. It's harmful. It destroys. And anybody that was preaching Jesus plus something, he was like, mm I did that life. I did that life of getting a works by, uh, a f- salvation by works and trying to be this and that. and It left me wanting and lacking and dead in my sin. So what's up? Because it looks like the same things here, but he's not mad, right? Listen again. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry and others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, no, and I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, for the former, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what then? Well, in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaiming in that I rejoice. Yay, that's good. Why can he do that? What's the disconnect? The disconnect is the illustration from Galatians was about content. They were preaching a false gospel. This situation is not content, but motive. We we never hear him say they're preaching a, a false gospel, a whacked out truth. It's just not right, a Jesus plus anything. He is simply saying their motive is wrong. And there's a group of guys who are just jealous. They're just jealous of Paul, and Paul was kind of a big deal. And he comes into town and they hear and they know, and they're jealous, and there's rivalry, and so they're seeking to harm him. They're They're in the flesh. They're not in the spirit. They're not thankful he's here and they don't care that he's in house arrest. And so their motives are just really bad. And so just imagine for a moment, if you could, just this uh, make-believe moment where Paul is with a friend and they're in this conversation and, and the friend's like, man, you want me to do something about this? You want me to go shut them down? Or like, You want me to fix this for you? And imagine Paul saying something like, hey, so what if there's some guys out there taking shots at me while I'm out of out of the game? That doesn't matter. None of it matters. And imagine him like leaning into his buddy, looking at a friend right in his eyes, and getting right up in his grill and going, Hey, bro, Christ is being preached even more than when I was out there. That thought alone makes me happy, brings me joy. See, Paul could have that sense of settledness in the midst of a long life of struggles and suffering. He had so much beating and fogging and floating in the sea and all that jazz. And in this moment, he can say, hey bro, There's a multiplying of the gospel out there. Christ is with us. Christ is with me. So don't look at my wrist in the chain. Don't feel sorry for me. He says, look at the chain. This thing that's so bad, it's bringing good. It's bringing good. It's a countercultural upside down kingdom that we live in. Christy and I got married at 21, and I'm guessing at 22 or 23, I was, I was, um, I was sick, and I'd been sick for a while. Nothing major, just like a, one of those, you know, week long whatever's, and you just, you just feel lousy. And we were in a tradition at the time that said if you were sick, you were a loser, and you might possibly be in sin because we were never supposed to be sick, and you need to get over this. And if you're not over it yet, you're a loser. And so I was laying in bed. And I was contemplating all these things and just feeling lousy and feeling lousy as a Christian, as one of the youth pastor at this church and feeling just lousy in my body. And I felt from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, a tingling over my entire body where my body was just like electric tingle. And I just started to weep And it wasn't a healing. If you think that's where I'm going, that's not where I'm going. It wasn't the healing tingle. But what I felt in my spirit, what I felt the Holy Spirit saying into my spirit in that moment was, I can heal you. And I do heal. But I'm not healing you right now. I'm just with you. I'm with you. Do you know how life-changing that was for me? How good that was for me as a young preacher to realize that he's not my genie in a bottle I can just ask and make, do whatever I want him to do when life hurts or there's struggle or suffering. Remember when Paul, or David wrote the 23rd Psalm and he says when you pass through the valley of the shadow of death, what does pass mean? <laughs> it means you're not sitting in it. We're passing through it. And so... Our suffering is this beautiful, powerful reminder that we are but pilgrims passing through this life and we are moving to a place. I don't care if you die at 10 or 120, it is a blip. The psalmist says it's a vapor, it's a mist, it's a flower that blooms and fades. It's a shadow, it's like that because we're gonna step into an eternity where there's no death, where there's no sorrow, where there's no tear, where there's no suffering. We will we'll be in the presence of the maker of heaven and earth who knows us by name. And that is not escapism. That is not a, a pie, a sweet by and by and all that jazz of that a skeptic would say that we just we just check out of reality and we just attach to this fantasy thing. No, if the first advent was real, and it is because of history and the scripture teaches us so, we know that the second advent is just as real. And that will usher in this forever thing called eternity with Christ and so be encouraged if you're suffering be encouraged if life hurts right now just remind yourself preach the gospel to yourself that you are forgiven and you have an eternity awaiting you and in the meantime you're never alone you're never ever alone and even if you don't get all the answers to your pain now His presence is enough. Amen? His presence is enough. So Father, we bow our hearts before you this morning. And I pray, Father, with my friends that you would, for those who are in the middle of an epic suffering, that you would hold them, that you would embrace them, that you would reveal your Father's presence and love with them and above all the answers to the question of why that you would let the, the reality of who be enough. So would you encourage them? Would you give them strength? Would you let them hear the gospel message in their minds as they fall asleep tonight, as they exercise somewhere tomorrow? as they open the word, that they would be reminded that there is a good news of a Savior that came for us, for them. I just want to give you a chance to just pour your heart out to the Father. Maybe your suffering is of epic proportion and maybe it is what others might not see as, as great, but it is to you. Let's talk to our Father for a second. Father, I pray for anyone in this room or worshiping online somewhere that has never trusted you as Savior. And they they came to church, whether they were aware or not of just how tired they are of, of of the struggle, of lack of meaning and purpose and the weight of sin. And it makes sense today. And I invite them to pray with me now. Father, I... I get it, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus I believe he died for my sins I believe he was resurrected from the dead I believe that he's Lord would you fill me with your Holy Spirit now and I commit to live the rest of my days on this earth as one of your followers in Jesus' good name Amen.